It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And welcome in, everybody, to another episode of the High Low Sports Podcast. We appreciate you all joining us this Wednesday evening, or if you're listening the day after on any of your favorite podcast apps, or watching the replay of the YouTube video as well. We're in the middle of October, which is arguably one of the best sports months of the year. we got a whole lot going on and an action-packed show this week as well, too. It is DJ joined, as always, by my co-host, Kelsey. And Kelsey, last, last week we stayed pretty laser-focused on one sport. This Today we're going to dive in and maybe touch in on a few other ones as well, too. We're going to expand our horizons just a little bit. Well, I mean, we did last week is an abnormality, it feels like, lately. Like, you know, normally <laughs> we, we do cover a lot of sports at one time. Last week, though... You know, basketball kicking off, we were all tipping off. Uh, we had to get 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 ready, get rid of some of those stories, and that we had kind of pushed aside, if you will, in the off season. And uh, now we did that, so now we get to go back to what we normally do. You know, this is the, the fun times we've had. Look, plenty of upsets in college football this last week. You had some surprises in the NFL weekend. Um, I mean, heck, NBA tipped off yesterday. So there's already some some wild stories to talk about. And let's not forget the MLB playoffs, in which we saw a game five from the youngest least paid team in the in in the MLB going against the highest paid for, for, uh, franchise historically in the MLB. So, um, you know, we just just had some wild playoff situations and and lots to talk about, so it'll be fun to, this will be a fun episode. Definitely lots to talk about and some very questionable pitching decisions there as well too. But we can go on all day about all of this as well too. What I do want to say though is we talked a lot of NBA last week previewing the season. For those of you who complain on our TikToks and our YouTube shorts about some of our picks, keep in receipts. So if any of those come true, we're coming for you. Hope you're ready for it. You better want to delete those now as well, too. So giving you your hey, fair hey, warning now. Here's the thing. We will take we'll take the heat if we're wrong, but at the same time, you better take the heat if you're wrong too. Uh it's yeah. it's two-way street. I've we have fully accepted when we are wrong, but when we are right, it comes spinning full circle. And when it comes to anything that mildly inconveniences or upsets me, I have the I have the mind of an elephant and the memory of an elephant too. So the pettiness is on full display. Just fair and warning. The speed of a sloth. Ironic, considering who I just got that from as well. To the pulling guard who has to run a four or five to get around the tackle box. But I digress as well too. That's a and I think that's a good way to advance off into our first segment as well too. Also known as the tip off, which. Honestly, a fitting name for our first segment, considering we're going to be kind of wrapping up a little bit what we talked about last week with basketball and going to our awards predictions. So last week we told you who we think is going to get to the NBA Finals and how they're going to get there. Today we're going to pass out some hardware. And Kelsey, we're going to go over MVP, Defensive Player of the Year, Coach of the Year, Rookie of the Year, and Sixth Man of the Year. So we're going down the main slate of awards. And I want to go and start with you first. We're going to work our way from the bottom up to each. So tell me who you got as Sixth Man of the Year. Yeah, so six man of the year. I'm actually going, if you guys remember my predictions, I had the Mavericks 
just with the deep run. And they're really going to be helped out with their sixth man of the year, Spencer Dinwiddie. The man who brought the crypto crypto flow, if you will, to the NBA uh, by being the first player to take crypto into his contract. Um, I think Spencer Dinwiddie is going to be the guy that we finally see the resurgence of Spencer Dinwiddie that was the really at times number one scorer in Brooklyn back in his day. And then all of a sudden now when he's been in Dallas, it's been injury prone to say the least. Um, hasn't really gotten comfortable, but I do think this is the season we see Spencer Dinwiddie step up. You know, I like that one. That's a very underrated pick as well, too, considering he was one of the main attractions to people coming to Brooklyn as well, too. And we saw spurts of it last year as well, too. It just wasn't able to hit consistent. So if uh, Luca's about to become go from the prince that was promised into the king that was promised, I think uh, that it's going to be a lot based on getting a little bit of help there as well, too. So I like that pick. For me, for sixth man of the year, I'm going to go with the guy who ironically also comes from Brooklyn and was also supposed to be that guy at one point. I'm going with Karis LeVert with the Cleveland Cavaliers. And this one has a little bit of a caveat because is he going to be the sixth man? Is he going to work himself into a starter role? Is he going to be the seventh man? It's an incredibly deep team when you include Kevin Love's, Isaac Okoro's, Ricky Rubio. So a little asterisk that presuming he is the sixth man. But if he is, he looks like a very easy 18 and six type of guy right off the bench. We know what he's capable of. He has a lot of, I think of him as like a more high volume Victor Oladipo when he's healthy, if that makes sense as well, to a guy that can go ahead and get you buckets in a high clip and an efficient rate as well. And someone who can really run the offense when a Donovan Mitchell and a Darius Garland are off the court. Karis Silver can go in there and your offense isn't really going to suffer. Defensively, maybe a mild lapse, but not, not enough to be noticeable considering Garland and Donovan Mitchell aren't exactly known for a lockdown defense, but they are known for high volume offense, which Karis Levert can give you in bunches with those pick and rolls with a Kevin Love in that second unit. Give me Karis Levert for a six man of the year. Almost, I don't want to say like Manu Ginobili used to do because that's some really high praise, but in a similar type of fashion, where it's like, all right, six man comes in and it is his unit. Everybody works around him, if that makes sense. Not just a Jamal Crawford who comes in and go get buckets and everybody else do everything else. I think Karis Levert will be the captain of the ship when he comes in. Yeah, no, I, I, I like that idea. I mean, that's really, you got to imagine that's what, what what his best role should be anyways, is that kind of leader of the second union, the the, the guy that just comes in. And you, you always have one. You always have the guy that just comes in and gives you buckets. And and I could 100% see Karis LeVert being that dude, especially considering he is a walking bucket at times. Absolutely. And a guy you can run the offense through as well. My only question is, does he lose out because of Kevin Love or somebody else that's quote-unquote a six-man type and taking a, taking a little bit of his steam as well too? So that's something we'll have to keep an eye out for. Next up, we're going to go to Rookie of the Year. Kelsey, I'm going to go and start with a guy that I think you that you like a lot as well, too. I'm going to go with Keegan Murray is who I'm going to have as my Rookie of the Year. The Sacramento Kings first-round pick, very versatile forward as well, could play a little bit of three, a little bit of four, maybe be able to slide into that two-guard spot if you want to go with a massive lineup. Standing at about six foot eight, I think he's very versatile. Has a lot of room to grow, obviously, but I think De'Aaron Fox you got Dante Zabonis. Like, you got guards in abundance in Sacramento, which is why they're getting rid of guys like Buddy Heald and recklessness all over the place. I think him and De'Aaron Fox could form a nice one-two duo as well. And honestly, as you can attest as well as anyone, the Kings really aren't going anywhere right now, so there's going to be a lot of green lights, if you will. <laughs> so I think that – and we'll see. Mike Brown, he's usually one to try just about anything. If it works, then he'll keep doing it almost to a fault. But if it doesn't work, you know, he'll honestly probably keep giving you another light. So I think, I think there's going to be a lot of green lights, and I could see – Keegan Murray starting to benefit and grow off of that as all eyes are on De'Aaron Fox. All right. All right. I respect that. Look, I, it, it was, it was tough for me not to go with an obvious pick for, for rookie of the year. I got to be honest and say that um, <laughs> I did want to go somebody like what you just did with Keegan Murray, Paulo Banchero, Jay Nivey, Jabari Smith, Jr. Any one of those guys <laughs> I could have easily gone, especially Jabari Smith. I really feel like he's going to have a good year, 
But I'm actually looking at a team who got rid of pretty much everybody that's in the standing in the way of this young rookie to come in, except for Kelly Olynyk. Kelly Olynyk is the only piece that is still there in front of him in, as a center role. And that's the Utah Jazz's Walker Kessler out of Auburn. I have him coming in. He, a star, look, a kid that was a stud in college, honestly, just overshadowed by Jabari Smith Jr. Did it for four years. Walker Kessler is a defensive offensive player. He excels on protecting the rim. And we all know about Utah defensive players protecting the rim. They seem to get pretty good nominations for player of the defensive player of the year or some kind of defensive role in that situation and all defensive team, you name it. So I do think he has an opportunity here. He is technically second string right now. But again, it's Kelly Olenek we're talking about in front of him. It doesn't take much to replace him. Especially when you look at the rest of that roster, it wouldn't surprise me if they'd run a Kelly Olenek at a four and a Walker Kessler at a five at times in that roster and let, let Walker Kessler work on him. Uh, so if you guys are wondering the odds here, uh, DJ's odds for Keegan Murray, plus 500 for rookie of the year. The odds for Walker Kessler, plus 8,000. <laughs> so uh, maybe maybe throw $5 on that and see what you can get. All right, so we're going to name this Kelsey's best bets is what we're going at right now. So that's, <laughs> that's an interesting one as well, going with – not even the best player coming out of Auburn this year, but I do like it. I mean, yeah, there's no, a lot like, of green I, lights in Utah, as you mentioned. There's a lot of, we are learning this year. We're going to try some things, and he might try a lot of things that work out. I just think, like, it, if you look at Houston, there's just too many young studs in Houston that are going to demand the ball. Like, they, yeah. they're, they're, there's too many in Houston to demand the ball. Jaden Ivey is sitting there in Detroit. I don't know. Again, like, you have Kate Cunningham still working there. You have everything young and, and, and working in that team, but at the same time, does he get enough burn? Uh, Paulo Banchero, again, the magic. We see forwards go there all the time and just don't do much. Um, and then beyond that, it's a bunch of guys that I honestly don't really feel comfortable with and, and that don't have a full skill set, whereas Walker Kessler has that full offensive-defensive skill set that you like. Yeah, absolutely as well, too. And, you know, every time Utah's coming, we have to mention what's going on in Utah with the whole Brian Windhorst meme as well, too. Every single time it's mandatory. So, hey, you know, well, and by the way, uh, shout out to you, to the Jazz, to the most random underrated color scheme change up in the end in the hmm. NBA this offseason. Who has any if anybody hasn't noticed it, don't I don't blame you. It literally took me going and looking at their preseason jerseys to figure it out. They changed it now. It's now black and highlighter yellow. Uh, by the way, and and then they're bringing back the throwback purple, uh, purple mountain uniforms for their their one of their third alternates. So. All right, yeah, you know what, Utah. There's something going on in Utah. They may not win a lot of games, but they're gonna look really good doing it if, at this race. Well, so yeah. that is what we have for rookie. Let's go on to coach of the year. A very interesting award this year as well as I look at it. I'm going with an old face in a new place. I'm gonna go with Tyron Lou with the Clippers. I think everybody knocks on wood is expected to actually be healthy within the first six months of the season for the first time since they brought everyone together, it feels like. You'll have Kawhi Leonard, you'll have Paul George, you'll have John Wall in addition to that as well. They've been a pretty good team the last couple of years despite the mess that they are. I think now this is kind of the chance where they finally could put it all together and be, I don't want to say a force, but a really, really good unit as a whole. You know Kawhi is going to have load management, quote-unquote. You know Paul George will probably have a little bit too. John Wall, considering he's had his... Achilles and knees explode several times last year's will be on load management. Mm -hmm. So you will see a lot of different lineups, a lot of different players get burned. And I think that'll tilt it in Tyron Lou's favor, considering I think we both have them finishing as a top three seed in the West as well, too. So I think that'll do That'll do a lot for them as well. So give me Tyron Lou finding a coach of the year nomination this year. Okay. All right. I, I respect it. Um, yeah, I definitely respect it. I, I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> I, I have no really looking for any reason to say that's a terrible idea, but it's kind of hard. It's, it's hard to be like, okay, I may disagree, but it's not terrible. 
yeah, no. So it's, um, yeah, I, I mean, it's not terrible at all. I, my, my pick is probably a lot more further out there than, than yours is. And, uh, and again, this goes back to the way I have this team performing this year. And, and again, I talked about them in the playoffs and, and what they're going to do. And I'm going to ride with that. And that's, you know, I already put one team, one player, one player from this squad in there. And that's uh, Spencer Dinwiddie. So if you guys know where I'm going here, going Jason Kidd, coach of the year. And it, I just, I feel like if we're going to see the Mavericks have an ex- excellent year, led by Luca and Spencer Dinwiddie coming and playing. And it, this is, it's going to be a great coaching job to get this team into a, into a four seed or higher period. <laughs> like I can just mm-hmm. end the sentence there and it make everybody's like, okay, yeah, like that's, it, it's true because it's, it's not easy in the West to try to make a team like the Mavericks who does have very obvious holes in their team that if you can coach through those, those gaps that in, you can coach them well, then uh, you can make it to the playoffs in a top four seed where they get a home court series I mean that's that's a, a fantastic job as a coach. Like you, congratulations, you're well deserving of a nominee. Um, so and, and that's that's where I'm going with this. And so Jason Kidd is my coach of the year this season. Um, we'll see. I, I don't know if it'll come true, but I do feel like taking a taking a, taking a little bit of a a long haul kind of with my rookie of the year as well. Um, you know, I'm just gonna go Jason Kidd here. I like that one as well. And I think they're going to be big movers around the trade deadline. I think they're going to make a move for somebody too, especially to come off in a pretty good, like come out of the gates firing, but maybe struggle against some of the other teams. I can see them making a move and maybe let's see DeAndre eight still disgruntled or something like that as well too. I can see them being somebody in the market to add another player, which will bolster his bolster his odds as well. So I like that one a lot as well. Next up, we're heading over to defensive player of the year the, arguably one of the more highly contested awards in recent memory as well too it seems like every other year there's one where it makes you scratch your head or you're like that's cool but i feel like this one has more butts than any other award so far so kelsey we're going to start with you what are you looking at for defensive player of the year so defensive player of the year i feel like this guy keeps getting shunned from an mvp at this point in time uh, another mvp i should say um but you know he's gonna have a great year but he's just gonna be outshadowed by the mvp but he's still he's still a fantastic defensive player, and if you guys know that, it pretty much limits this down to like three or four guys in the NBA that could be good enough for an MVP and Defensive Player of the Year. Um, that's going to be, in my case, Joel Embiid. I have the Sixers playing well, playing fantastically, but I have one guy outshining beyond the rest of the league for MVP. But Joel hmm. Embiid is still going to be that guy that's like, hey, I'm a walking MVP. I'm going to win multiple awards in my career. It's just a matter of, well when the guy gave MVP decides to, to, to let him have one basically um, hmm. is, is what I'm going to say. And, and yeah, I think this is, this Joel and beat again, getting defensive player of the year conversation. He's continuously there. He plays great defense and it kind of feels like I know he's an offensive guy, but it does feel like he excels the best when his defense is going. Like when he he's able to talk all that trash, he's going to be able to, you know, shimmy and shake offensively and get going because he's in their head defensively already. I mean, you can't get – it's tough enough to get by a seven-footer when he's, you know, just playing really good defense. But when he's playing really good defense, and then now you have to go guard him on the other end when he's shimmying and shaking, talking all this trash and shooting threes over you. Like, that's when Joel Embiid is at his best. So, it, his game starts with his defense, and you see that night in and night out. So, I'm going to go Joel Embiid here, defensive player of the year. I like that one a lot, and I think he should have been MVP last year, honestly, as well, too. I, I'm going to stand by that. I think he was the MVP last year. I know everyone loves Jokic and those incredibly – ridiculous analytics and advanced stats and all that i agree with you because yeah. two years ago i agreed i thought i thought joel was gonna make a push for defense player of the year and when he's on his game you mentioned it starts on the de- i think if it either starts on the defensive end and turns him into a force offensively or if he's cooking offensively as defensive hustle 
Oh boy. He's guarding guards out there as well too. Shuffling his feet, staying in front of him, clapping with his big hands really loud in those guards face. Looks like he's about to crush it like a grape too. He's if he can stay healthy and James Harden can be James Harden. Basically, honestly, hey, if they, if they can do what they did on night one. Let's just put it that way. Yes. Well, yes, if they can do that. And James Harden's not shimmying and throwing up bricks, but just kind of playing basketball, take a little bit of the pressure off. That's a dangerous team. And I might have underrated them as well. So for me, defense play of the year, I'm going with an oldie, but a goodie. And I'm going with Giannis Antetokounmpo. I think that I kind of mentioned our prediction. I think he's going to stack some hardware this year. I think he last year was that little bit of an off year. The I think Chris Middleton doesn't get hurt. We're realistically talking about them in the finals, most likely. I mean, they came within inches and Jason Tatum going Hercules in game seven away from getting the Eastern Conference finals. Chris Middleton, if he can come back, be healthy. Giannis, we saw his game slowly, a lot slower than I would like. We saw it slowly start to evolve a little bit. It's not just drive, drive, spin, dunk, drive, drive, spin, right-handed layup. He occasionally threw in a lefty or like a hook shot. I think this year he'll expand on that just a little bit. And I think they're gonna his usage rate offensively is going to not decline, but it's going to mitigate a little bit, and he'll concentrate a little more on defense. So, look for. I'm going to go with Giannis. I'm going to go with an oldie but a goodie because I think Rudy Gobert and his defensive advanced stats aren't going to be as ridiculous this year. To where everyone's like, "Oh, the numbers! Oh, the numbers! Analytics! Oh my goodness, Rudy Gobert!" And then Ben Simmons. We've already seen even when he's defensive player of the year, they don't give him defensive player of the year. So, give me give me Giannis on this one. We'll get in this one. I, but I I love how you called it an oldie but a goodie at 27 years old. He's just been. That many times nominated for defensive play of the year already. An oldie but a goodie is in more of a two-year throwback, even though it feels, considering what's <laughs> happened in those two to three years, it feels like an eternity. So now we're going to the big one, the granddaddy of them all, if you will. We're going to our MVP predictions. And Kelsey, we're going to tip this one off with you. Who do you have taken home arguably the most coveted award besides finals MVP? Yeah, so uh, if you guys, again, I'm going to go back to when he talked about my playoffs. You guys heard me talk about Luca and how dominant he was going to be and this and that and everything, but, you know, he was just going to be outshadowed in the regular season by this one guy who just, when he's, when he's, when he's feeling himself, when he's, when he wants to be MVP, he can be MVP. We all know his offensive prowess. His defensive prowess is the one thing I think he decides he wants to take off on sometimes, but we saw last year, last year's playoffs, he stepped up and played some fantastic defense. And that was really the, the kind of catalyst for that team to make as big of a push considering all the other issues they had. Um, and this is Kevin Durant. Probably one of the greatest players in the world right now. And honestly, three toes away from an NBA Finals appearance last year. And you look at that and you're like, all right, well, what can he do to impress us next year? Well, maybe you step up that defensive game again. Maybe it's time to have that defensive performance that you've been hoping Kevin Durant would do. Like where he's just like, you know what? I'm not just going to break you down offensively and score 30 over your head. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to score 30 on your head and then hold you to 10. Like, that's what I'm going to do. That's that's the KD I want to see right now. And that's the KD we saw in the playoffs. So you just, you know, turned it on and it was fantastic to watch. And I think this is going to this is gonna be the year that we see that full KD, especially when you look at the rest of that roster. He's going to have Ben Simmons really holding down a lot of that defensive effort. So he's able to kind of play that secondary, like kind of center field ball hawk on the backside type of situation. Kyrie is going to be on ball guarding everybody if as long as he can play, you know, and stay healthy. He's going to be on ball guarding the n- number one guard. So, that leaves Katie basically guarding a, the the third best player, and that's going to be a bailout pass, and that opens up the door for steals, for bl- backside blocks, for everything he does well defensively, to be to, to allow him to succeed, and that's going to provo- provide his offense is just going to be that much better because he's not so much worried about one on one defense. So yeah, I think Katie is going to be going to be the MVP this season. We're going to see one of the most prolific years we've ever seen from a player in the current era of players. 
if that team can stay healthy, that is the biggest. If they stay healthy, and yeah, Kevin yeah. Durant can play a good amount of games, and he's coming for revenge after getting swept me, in last year. Give year's me fifty-five games. If all three, if the big three can play fifty-five, at least fifty games together this season, I, I think, think this Kevin is Durant will get. And if he can give you sixty-five games, even by himself, with revenge on his mind after last year getting swept by the Celtics, and people are saying Jason Kidd, or sorry, Jason Tatum, more or less ran him around the court, and he has mm-hmm. a little bit of chip. "Quote unquote chip on his shoulder comes in with a little extra head of steam. You might be right, Anson. So that might be unanimous MVP territory if he comes in with that chip on his shoulder and can stay healthy. Because I think he still has a couple good years of being that dude. I think as well too. I think yeah. the injuries are slowing him down a little bit, but his game's not really predicated on being athletic. He's seven feet tall and shoots like Steph Curry. He'll he'll be fine. Yeah. So I like that big. That's if he can stay healthy. For me, people are gonna think we got our award list mixed up with this one. They're gonna think we accidentally swapped him or something like that. But I'm going to go with your boy Luka Doncic on this one. I think he's going to be a one-man wrecking crew this year. He's going to stuff the stat sheet. Might even average a triple-double if he wants to. He might mess around and average a triple-dub. I have them as the second seed in the West. And the way they're going to play, I think it's going to be very Luka-centric as far as the way the ball moves. Other guys will get points, and they will help. Spencer Dinwiddie will help, obviously. I do think they'll make a move. Christian Wood. I think that's why they'll win the games. But this is going to remind me a lot of those Cavaliers teams with LeBron, the first stint where they won like 65 and 66 games in back-to-back years. No one really was too worried about them come playoff time, but in the regular season, it was just they were an absolute show. They found a way to win all those games, and it was led by the head of the snake. In this case, will be Luka. So in a weird twist of fates, I'm going to give Luka the MVP for this one as well. I think it's going to be a fantastic season for him, but I do think if Kevin Durant stays healthy, he is going to be he's going to have something to say about that for sure. He's going to be right in the thick of it as well. Yeah, you know, I, again, I, I think Luca's going to have a fantastic year. I think he's really going to come out in the playoffs and just like put his foot on the on the pedal in the playoffs. I think we're going to see a fantastic Luca through the regular season. But yeah, I mean, I don't hate this pick at all. As as, as I talked about with the Mavs, I'm kind of at this point in time, I'm all in on the Mavs this season, and I'm just going to accept whatever fate may be. Like if I if I'm completely wrong with the Mavs, so be it. At this point in time, like I'm tired did. of being the guy that's just like eh on Luca. And then watching Luca go post up a 50, 50 piece and me just sitting here like I and I know he's good. <laughs> yeah, like I know he's good. Why am I questioning how good he is? Why like why do I do it week in and week out? Like I'm not I'm 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 not Stephen A. I'm not gonna sit here and just keep pounding the same drum when I'm very obviously wrong. <laughs> so I'm gonna flip it on its head. I'm gonna go to the opposite side of the drum and be like, hey, he's gonna be that good. So this time at least when he's not good, I can be like, Well, okay, well, at least he wasn't fantastic and what I'm expecting him to be meh. Like he could be meh when I'm expecting fantastic. You thank my cousin for that, who predicted Luca and that him and Kelsey and him went back and forth a little bit on Luca a couple of years ago as well, too. A, good, a throwback, but real quickly, Kelsey, go and recap your, your awards. How you have the award shaping out for us this year? Yeah, so I'm gonna start with sixth man of the year. I got Spencer Dinwiddie, uh, rookie of the year, Walker Kessler from the Utah Jazz, coach of the year, Jason Kidd from the Mavericks, defensive player of the year, give me it to Joel Embiid, and MVP, that man, the myth legend. Kevin Durant. Right, I'm perfect. And to recap my list for six man of the year, I got Karis LeVert with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Rookie of the year, I got Keegan Murray, the Iowa product out of Sacramento. Coach of the year, I got Tyron Lue with the Clippers. Defensive player of the year, we're going to go with Giannis Antetokounmpo. And for MVP, we're going with Kelsey's new favorite player, Luka Doncic, with a fantastic regular season. So that will do it for the tip-off for us as well, too. And that is going to take us towards our main event. And, of course, our main event brought to you by our good friends over at Manscaped. Use code Sports at checkout. Get yourself 20% off. Holidays are right around the corner. 
And Kelsey, uh, you've got a chance to experiment with some of their products as well. And there's a couple I, I feel you want to shout out real quick. Oh, my God. Is there ever? So this weekend, I got to pull the Cleveland double uh, for the land double, if you will. I went to the Browns Patriots game at 1 p.m. Super hot. So sweaty. I'm, I was dying in the middle of it. And I put on the crop preserver before I went. I talked about this last week. Talked about how it's great for big guys who have issues with chafing. And every guy has issues with chafing. Let's not kid ourselves. Every man has issues with chafing. We all have baby powder. It's not our secret anymore because it ends up on our floor. This doesn't end up on my floor. There's no baby powder across the floor anymore. Uh, I went to the Browns game. Felt fantastic. Didn't have to worry about swamp ass ruining my night because I still had the Guardians game to go to at 7 p.m. Felt fantastic. Before I went, though, made sure I hit up the crop reviver. Made sure everything was nice, fresh, clean downstairs. Made me feel all nice. I, look, I got to be honest. I'm, I'm so happy I don't have to spread, smell like baby powder every time I go out to anything anymore. It feels fantastic. And, and honestly, I've loved this, this stuff since they sent it to us. Uh, big, big fan of the crop reviver and, and, and the crop preserver. Definitely go check them out because it's, it's a lifesaver. If you, especially if you're a big guy, you definitely understand my problems. Between the chafing, between just the, between the sweat, and between the smell, there's a whole lot of, and the mess with the baby powder. There's a whole lot of yeah. reasons to like it as well, too. Honestly, the baby powder might be the worst part of the whole situation. <laughs> you know what? Yeah, that might be the biggest thing as well, too, that, that you're worried about as well. And I don't know if anybody knows, but I did decide to bring out their T-shirt they sent us as well, too. And I will give them credit. These are very, very nice-fitting T-shirts as well, too. Nice and slim on the sides, a little bit lengthy, too. Not too bad. I'll go ahead and pick that one up just in case anyone can't see it. There we go. Your balls will thank you for it as well, too, in case in case you weren't aware. <laughs> I'm also going to shout out the Weed Whacker that they sent us as well, too, for nose and ear hair trimming as well. Very simple. The blades on the end, at those of you who are looking, you can see. Very, very safe for your skin is how I'm going to word as well. To the amount of times I've tried to trim a nose hair and cut myself, I can count on. Well, I'll need a few extra hands for that one. But anytime you grow a beard or anything like that, you always want to keep it trimmed around your nose because that extra nose hair gets really long. Hanging out with somebody, they get really close. They see... They see a long, gross nose hair coming out. So you want to keep those nice and trimmed as well. It's quick and easy. Pop it in, clean both sides out. Same with the ears because nobody wants long ear hair before they're 80 years old. So definitely check out the Weed Whacker as well, too, as well as the Crop Preserver. Head over to manscaped.com. Use code HILOSPORTS. Get yourself 20% off at checkout. They already got some deals going on now as well as some free shipping as well, too. So go and save yourself a little money for you or someone in your life as well. So definitely check them out. We always appreciate them sponsoring us. And Kelsey... We're going to jump into the main event now, and there's a lot going on in the world of football this last week. College and NFL, we had some surprises, we had some upsets, we had some questionable calls, we had some head scratching, and we had some more. Well, I've been telling you this for months, so Kelsey, I'm going to go ahead and let you start with us. You know what? I'm going to start with this one, because this is the one you're going to say, too. The big one was number three, Alabama, taking on number six, Tennessee. The big battle of SEC, SEC powerhouses, which feels weird to say with Tennessee right now, but they've earned it. I want to let you go first. I know you got a lot to say on this one. It was a heck of a matchup, an incredible game. What are your first thoughts and reactions from it? Um, look, uh, if you've been questioning anything we've been talking about with Hendon Hooker for the last six months to a year, since even we were talking about him and as a potential guy coming out last year during the draft process, uh, how you, you kind of wish you'd have another year, maybe, maybe, maybe you have one more year in college to perform and see what he can do coming out the next year. Well, he has that extra year. He is performing, and he might just be that dude. That we've all been waiting for. Uh, look, I, fantastic effort from both teams in this one. The, this is the highest scoring game in the history of this matchup between Tennessee and Alabama. A matchup that dates back to nearly 1900. Um, I think it's like 1915 is when it dates back to. 
absolutely fantastic history between these two. Um, don't love the orange of Tennessee. It's kind of that weird colored orange. I, I, we all know I don't like love Alabama either. Uh, but still, it's a fantastic game to watch. 108,000 people in Neyland Stadium got to watch this one. Uh, 52-49. And again, what is it with Alabama and kickers mm-hmm. and these kicks and kick situations? Like watching this game, I'm just like, wow, Alabama is going to come down to a kicker again. And not just that, but like Alabama blocked the kick that goes in to win the game with two hands. They blocked the kick with two hands, and it still managed to knuckle in and go in. If it, You can't tell me this stuff isn't, like, destined to happen after that point. The guy, all credit to Alabama's nose, guy, nose guard on that situation. He jumps the line, gets both hands on the ball. Not good enough, though. Sorry, kid. Like, 40 yards still in, knuckling. It's just, it was a fantastic thing to watch. And uh, receiver Hyatt, I think he has just – might have just earned himself a possible – uh, com- combine bid at least at the very least at, if not maybe a first second round draft pick out of this game for five touchdowns 200 plus yards against that Alabama defense oh yeah 100 he's got 10 touchdowns on the season now to go with it as well too he's got Hendon Hooker has 15 pass touching passing touchdowns and he's got five of them as well so he's definitely he's earning himself a nice little keep too what I want to point out with this game too is for the quarterback needy NFL teams they're looking at this game and salivating because obviously we talked about Hendon Hooker he's I think he's honestly playing himself into a first-round caliber. We'll see how he finishes the season, goes through the drafts process. Right now, he's probably projected as like a two, maybe a late one someone trades back up for. But he's been absolutely sensational. Very efficient. 15 touchdowns, only one interception in a very, I'm going to say pro-style offense, even though those think those don't really quote-unquote exist anymore the way it goes, but <laughs> in a very not stat sheet stuffing type of offense, if that makes sense. Not an air raid, not a bombs-away offense. In a very traditional type of offense is how we'll word as well too they use him on the move he throws the ball deep and he throws a pretty deep ball like it's not just check downs and spider two y banana quick little flat routes and short five yard corners he's throwing laser beams 50 yards down the field he's throwing beautiful the arching ones at those elite 11 camps where they have you throw it into the trash can like 30 yards down the field he's dropping those bombs as well too he's looked sensational he's honestly i really think he's going to be a hidden gem come draft come draft season I think he's going to play himself into a first-round pick. I don't think he'll pass. Some of those guys expect to go at the top, but those middle, middle-to-tier teams probably like do you suffer from chronic hip, knee, or shoulder pain? Avoid drug dependency and surgery with Downtown's Healthcare in Denver. Downtown's Healthcare offers regenerative therapies that stimulate the body's self-healing process. Call Downtown's Healthcare at 303-292-9992, now in Lowry or downtown. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. You look at teams with older quarterbacks that could use one, maybe like Tampa Bay, the way they're going, Indianapolis. There's a few different teams that could really use a quarterback. They might trade up into like a number 10 spot to try and go snag him as well, too. Teams that aren't going to get the top three guys, but are too far down, but are kind of in the middle and don't have their guy. I think they're going to, that's something to look out for. And Bryce Young, the concern was coming off the injury as well, too. And he's a smaller frame guy. Didn't really miss a beat, honestly. Came right in there, maybe a little slow the first two drives, but. 
down the stretch of that game, he continued to throw laser beams, march them right up and down the field, gave them a lead at one point as well, too, multiple times in the second half. Bryce Young, I think, just proved he is that guy, and he is still – he's probably going to be, what would you say, the first or second quarterback if we had to end it right now and start the draft today. Probably the first or second quarterback off the board. We still have a full offseason process, which is where we see a lot of whoop, whoop, a lot of movement as well, too. That's where we saw Josh Allen come from fifth-round pick to top ten pick. So there's a long ways to go, but right now, top one of the first two quarterbacks off the board probably. Yeah, I mean, Bryce Young is still that dude. Like, There's no question about it. He's still able to perform with that. Uh, look, he, he, you you give the, you give him a minute and what was it a minute and forty seven seconds, and he goes out and scores. Unfortunately, he they scored with what twenty three seconds too many, uh, hmm. and and that's that's the, like allowed Hooker to get them into 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 field goal and and you know what field goal range, and that was like what I watched was two quarterbacks that are battling it out. That I mean, you just watched two great quarterbacks, like two great college quarterbacks at that point in time, and that was what really what I took away from this game was. These two guys were were they came to play and they were playing out of their mind. I mean, Bryce Young still dealing with that shoulder issue. Let's not forget he is just coming like he's still not a hundred percent. And even if he is a hundred percent, I don't think it changes this game. Truthfully, I don't think he's. I don't think it changes much because the pressure that Tennessee was getting off the edge, there's not a whole lot his shoulder can do <laughs> to fix that. Like that's just something that his offensive line messed up. And and you know what? That's so be it. Um, I just think well, yeah, Bryce Young's still going to be what number two, if not. It's depending on the team, maybe a number one, but I do think Will Levis probably goes number one. Still, I'm standing by that. That's been my 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 prediction since last season. If he came out last season, I think he would have been a top four guy. I think this season he's easily playing himself in a number one situation there, as they just keep winning as well. But um, yeah, I think I think Bryce Young probably number two. C.J. Stroud's going to be in there if he if he decides to come out. If he doesn't, then whenever you know C.J. What? Stroud wants to come out. We're in calling audible now because I'm curious what you said right there. That piqued my interest. So, who do you think if, we'll go three or five? Your choice. Give you know, give us the top five QB prospects coming out. We're going to compare prospects right now. But obviously, we're in October. Top, so this top five right now. Right All now, right. like the draft started today. All right, Will Levis number one, number two. I'm going to say Bryce Young. Three, Hendon Hooker. Four, Sean Clifford. Five, C.J. Stroud. If he comes out, and that's because I don't think he's going to come out. I don't, I don't think he's going to leave this early. Interesting. All right, as well too. I'm I'm gonna go. And if he doesn't come out, by the way, if he does not come out, I'm gonna I'm gonna go and say Caleb Williams takes that five spot. I don't think Caleb Williams can come out this year, can he? I think he has one more year. Does? Oh yeah, that's right. Never mind. Yeah, he can't come out this year. So yeah, never mind. I don't care who gets that five spot. Dylan Gabriel. (laughs) I don't like insert guy here at five. Mine's a little bit different than yours. I think CJ Strokes, it sounds like all indications are he's coming out, so I'm presuming he's coming out. I think right now he's still the number one QB's prospect. I know everyone has their Ohio State QBs in the NFL. He's number one Heisman prospect for sure. 100%. I think Bryce Young is still number two. I have Will Levis at three with the big upside as well, too. He has the big arm and all those things. He has all those traits that people like to draft. I think Hendon Hooker last week played himself up to number four. I'm going to go with Sam Hartman at number five. I think he's a little bit limited, Yeah, but I think – He's got that Mac Jones feel to him where it's like you maybe don't take him in the top five, but he starts to slip into the teens, you take a chance because I think he's going to be a good quarterback. He just doesn't have that Justin Herbert, Josh Allen freakishness to him, if that makes sense. He's not freaky. He's just good. Although, and then Anthony Richardson is an honorable mention if we're gonna, if CJ Stroud doesn't make, doesn't come out. Yeah, I think, okay, so I, I left Sam Hartman off my list, and I, I don't know why I left him off the list. Um, because kind of, I do love, I, I do love me some Sam Hartman. I've been, I've been, <laughs> been preaching his, 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 his movement as well. Although he does worry me because he's part of that QB one beyond the lights 
program. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's speaking successfully, as far as those players go out, go, it's, it's literally been, uh, oh, by the way, only Justin Fields that has started in a pro game uh, for a team. The, Jake Fromm did play in a pro game, uh, but he did not start ever uh, for a team. So the, out of the QB1 graduates there, it's, yeah, mm-hmm. like, yeah, and then Spencer Radler is still in college somehow. Um, <laughs> I don't know how that's a possibility either. He's, but, that's a that's a whole nother mess in itself how that one's played out as well. But I think I think we kind of agree on them. But speaking of quarterbacks with freakish talents, I'm gonna take us into our next game that we're looking at. We're gonna look into the matinee of the NFL's week if you want to go with Patrick Mahomes versus Josh Allen, Bills versus Chiefs. Everything we said kind of about the Hendon Hooker Bryce Young thing, copy and paste it here, just a little bit lower scoring. Everything we kind of mentioned there, a fantastic display from Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. And my base takeaway from this is. The gap for number one quarterback, arguably, with Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, it's a lot smaller than a lot of people think it. I think you can make a case that Josh Allen might be QB1 in the NFL right now. I think he showed it a lot in that game because not only can he make every single throw, when he runs the ball, he looks next to Lamar Jackson, and he might be the second-best ball-carrying quarterback in the game as well, too, as well as being arguably the second-best throwing quarterback as well. So I'm going to give you your thought on that as well, too. Which which part? Which which part of the? You think the, Josh the, Allen's closed that gap with Patrick Mahomes, and what were your thoughts on that game? I was like, well, okay, so that was, that was my thing. Is like, okay, so yes, I don't think there's ever really been much of a gap in my opinion between those two as far as quarterback talent goes. I think the biggest gap has been on the talent surrounding the two, uh, mainly offensive line talent, and then also the allowance of his of a of a coach in Andy Reid to allow his quarterback to do whatever he wanted. Um, I think Josh Allen. If he was given the same leeway as Patrick Mahomes throughout his career, we'd be looking at the exact same situation from the two. I think if you flip the spot, flip Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes from day one, and Patrick Mahomes is a, is a Bill, Josh Allen is a is a Chief. I think you have the exact same growth between the two. I think you you see exactly where the, like where Patrick Mahomes is now is where we'd see Josh Allen. Where Patrick where Josh Allen is now, we'd see Patrick. And I think that's just a difference between the situations they were asked to go through. Um, but yeah, I do think, I mean, I definitely think Josh Allen. Yeah, sure. I will say, yes, he is catching. He has closed the gap, if you will, uh, in this. And I, I I don't think there's ever been much of a gap, but I think whatever gap is there, he has definitely closed in on it. And I think it's because of the way he ha- he's he's learned to do it. He hasn't had a, up until, well, I mean, now he has Stefan Diggs, but he didn't have a Stefan Diggs and, you know, if you will. Uh, whereas Patrick has always had a Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill until this year. And I don't know if it's because we're seeing a step back maybe, or we're seeing an evolution of Patrick. I like the evolution personally. It doesn't work well for my fantasy football teams, but I love the evolution. What I'm watching on the field with Patrick, where he does check it down a lot more. He does hit the, just, he just hits the open receiver. We're not seeing as many, Oh, I'm going to scramble left. I'm going to scramble right. And then I'm gonna throw a 50 yards downfield because Tyreek down there somewhere. No, it's none of that. It's like, all right, I'm going to start scrambling right. I'm going to see scanning, scanning, scanning. That is scantling on a comeback route. Boom. Like, that's that's how efficient he is. And it sucks for my fantasy team. But you know what? It's fantastic to watch from a quarterback growth aspect because he's no longer just, you know, riding the Brett Favre machine. Uh, whereas with Josh Allen now, he's like, hey, I have Gabe Davis who's evolving into a high-quality number two. I have Dawson Knox who's in a high-quality tight end. And I'm going to just, you know what? Maybe screw it. They're down there somewhere every occasionally, and and, and it's worked out pretty well for him so far. So, um, I, I do think to to your point, to your question of yes, has Josh Allen closed the gap? Yes, uh, 
And and I do think at the same time, I think between the two teams, I think we're looking at two of the best teams in the NFL still. I mean, the Bills and the Chiefs, I don't think there's any question of that. I think both teams are just so good at what they do. And that defense for the for the Chiefs has absolutely just evolved to a point where I don't think any of us expected, really. I will say, too, the one thing that, Patrick, you could tell he misses Tyreek is when he does do those scramble drills as well, too, because it feels like whenever he does the scramble drills, it's only Travis Kelsey he's looking for because every time he throws to someone else is when things go bad, it feels like, as well, like we saw it in that <laughs> yeah. Bills game. In the red zone, you're right there. You try and force it up to Mar- Marquez Valdez-Scanley and give Kyrie Elam an interception. We saw it down the yeah. stretch there. Starts the scramble drill, forces it in the coverage. So I think he's still adjusting a lot, and I think – I'm curious. I mean, it's we nice know to like two. have to force it to Travis Kelsey though, and he can still get four touchdowns in a game. So that's nice to, to have a guy that you can still force it to, and they still get four touchdowns. And I am curious because we imagine these two are going to meet again in the playoffs. I'm really curious to see what that one's going to look like because the Chiefs' defense wasn't 100% healthy, but neither was the Bills either. So that's a very, very interesting matchup. Looking forward ahead as well too. And I, I for one can't wait. I hope somehow they meet in the first round. Just it doesn't make sense, but I want to see them just meet right away. I don't want any. I don't want anything left to fate. Not letting anybody accidentally screw up or get in the way. Nope. I, I don't. I don't want to see him. I don't want to see. I want to see now. That needs to be my championship game. I want that to be the championship game. I don't want to risk somebody getting in the way. I'm nervous if they're the one in the two seed, for example, and somebody intervenes like a little shit slapping goblin or something like that. I don't want so anybody Colts, getting in the way. You don't want the Colts to be there to, to possibly. Oh, they're not getting in there. They're not a thought. I'm talking about like the Ravens or the Bengals. If Joe Burrow gets hotter, you know, or the dolphins with randomly Tyreek and Jalen Waddle out there somewhere. I'm talking about good teams. We're not talking about that trash team that you just mentioned. Hey, I still have the, the Colts could the, the Colts are still a possible playoff team right now. They are possible division winner at the end of the season. They're sitting at the seventh seed and they play for the number one, for this top of the AFC South that they're with the Titans this week. So we'll see, but I will, we'll see. I'm talking about good teams right now. And I'd, I want to see those two. I don't want anyone to get a playoff rate. A playoff rate team is not a good team now. Okay. It's week five, week Check. six, whatever. We'll see. <laughs> a team that lost 24 nothing to Jacksonville. We're going to keep that. They beat the Denver Broncos. Like that's, as you, as you can attest to, that is not an accomplishment. Hey, somebody's got to beat them. Everybody's beat them. <laughs> what are you talking about? You know, All right. So we're going to go where right, that, that'll do it for our NFL highlight. But there's a couple of college games that we're going to circle back into college as well. So we're going to bounce back and forth here a little bit. There's a pretty pretty gnarly upset uh, in the Pac-12, if anyone stayed up to watch it on the East Coast as well, too. Utah and USC. USC, everyone was talking about the Trojans are back. Well, Utah with a little bit of a surprise there as well, too, showing that they still – a rough week one, they're still adjusting after the loss of players, but they still got a little bit of steam behind them. Yeah, I mean, look, down at one point in time, 42, I believe it was 42 to 30 – oh, goodness, or 42 to 28 going into the fourth quarter – Utah rallies back to win the game 43-42. Uh, look, they, they've had a rough season. You have two losses there on the season. But, man, this team is – say what you will about the Utes, but Cameron Rising, he is playing extremely well as a quarterback. And a guy that might play himself – talk about another guy might play himself into a potential um, quarterback situation there for the, the NFL. Definitely on the outside looking in, but could potentially get up there. And, I mean, his – receiving core and namely his tight end Dalton Kincaid 15 receptions 217 yards and a touchdown for a tight end mm-hmm. in college football and yeah the, this game this was a fantastic game top to bottom you talk about Caleb Williams had a fantastic game 381 five touchdowns uh, we finally saw Travis Dye actually the Oregon transfer you know really step up 76 yards and a touchdown as well for USC but really it didn't matter at the end of the day it's just like man Utah just Coming out of nowhere, basically revenge, revenging their loss at, uh, against Ohio State against USC this time. Like, like they just basically did to that what Ohio State did to them 
against <laughs> USC is basically what happened here. And it was a fantastic game to watch. It was a late game. I mean, this one ended at like 2 o'clock Eastern time. But, man, it was a fantastic game to watch. And and this those are the two horses I really look at in the Pac-12. If you're going to have a somebody to hang your hat on if you're the Pac-12 right now, unfortunately, it's really those two, and that's that's it. And and now Utah with the two losses, USC now with one. Um, you know, Utah has to definitely win out to have any hopes and get a little help from, from somebody playing USC to win the Pac-12. But, yeah, it's going to be uh, interesting to see down the road how these two kind of their seasons continue. But very interesting nonetheless between those two because you look at Utah – if you flip the one game, one one possession situations, they only have one loss, and that would be the USC. Uh, if you flip one possession situation that decide the game, because they would have won their two other losses in that situation. Um, whereas USC, they'd be like a three loss team if uh, you flipped one possession games. So very weird, very weird statistic to look at. Here's what here's my one question: Is USC obviously with a top ten? I think they're ranked number six at the time of this game. Going to take a step back a little bit. Let's hypothetically say they run the table, they win the Pac-12. What do you think the chances are sneaking into that college football playoff four spot? Because that's a really congested top ten right now. Man, that top twenty, that top ten right now is is tough to to break into. I mean, you look, they'd have to just looking at it right now. You'd have to jump over. I mean, to get in the playoff spot. All right, so you'd have to jump over outside looking in right now. Undefeated teams: UCLA, TCU, Mississippi. So if they run run the table, they would have beaten UCLA. They'd also beat Oregon. So there's instantly that gets them up to number eight, uh, uh, number nine. Then you have to somehow jump TCU, Ole Miss, a one-loss Bama team, Clemson, and Michigan. Tennessee or Georgia teams, they got to play each other still too. Yeah, I mean, yeah, potentially, yeah, potentially a one-loss Tennessee, Georgia. Well, yeah, because they play each other as well. Uh, so one one of those is guaranteed a loss, and then as well, you have the SEC championship game which sees Georgia probably, or, you know, the winner of the Georgia-Tennessee game versus Alabama, very likely. Um, and let's not forget, Ole Miss still does have that game against Bama in their pocket that if they beat Bama, they then go to the West. And it's like, you know, this is whole, like, I don't know if USC has enough to get there. But I do know that the teams that are ahead of them right now are going to beat the living crap out of each other until they have an opportunity because you have Ohio state and Michigan. They're going to, one of those two teams is going to have a loss before the end of the regular season. Um, you have TCU, Oklahoma state. Those are one, either Oklahoma state is going to second loss, um, in the championship game or TCU is going to have a, you know, get a, get their first loss in their championship game. But then there's four sec teams that are going to, that could potentially lose to each other. Clemson's the only one I can see going scot-free just because there's nobody in the top 10 that's there. So I don't know, man, I don't know if USC has enough to get there, but, are you suffering from chronic joint or back pain? Downtown's Healthcare in Denver offers effective alternative therapies that are non-invasive, non-surgical, and drug-free. Start your journey to a pain-free life. Call Downtown's Healthcare at 303-292-9992, now in Lowry or downtown. You know what? I think everybody, I, I, I do think the, the, the subcommittee would be like, eh, you're close enough. We'll put USC here. Like if it was Utah, it's us say flipped and as it's Utah and the possibility, no, Utah doesn't get it. But it's <laughs> USC. It's USC. They can bring money to the college football playoff, so that's what matters. And I will say too, Caleb Williams, as far as college football quarterbacks right now, he might be one of the more dangerous quarterbacks you'll find in the game too, with what he does with his arms and his legs in that offense as well. The way they have it using, he has the most yeah. like in college basketball. I talk about well, you have that one player he can save you and go nuclear. He's a guy that down the stretch could go nuclear. If you get him in a playoff game, I think that alone, if it's close, like let's say they're in that five, six, seven range as eight, but they're the Pac-12 winner compared to a 
two loss Alabama team that didn't win the SEC or something along those lines or a big 12 winner with two losses. Something that I can see them going with that because Caleb Williams versus that Georgia defense, that Georgia defense is still filthy, but the, Caleb Williams has the ability to kind of like Johnny Manziel date back in the day, Marcus Mariota guys that could just go nuclear with their arms and legs. That's a, that's at least an intriguing matchup, as you mentioned, that could bring money to the table, and we'll be watching with our popcorn straight forward. So like, does he do it, or does George's defense just hammer him? That's a it's yeah. a very interesting style clash there. You know, there's a, there's a lot to look forward to. We have a lot of season left though, because that still involves USC yeah. having to run the table. Well, and and there's still a sneaky team in there that could completely throw a wrench into everybody. Since I mentioned Clemson might be able to be scot free, well, I also forgot that their matchup this upcoming week is with a team that is still undefeated outside of the top ten. And the team that we haven't seen undefeated in our lifetimes, by the way, Hmm. Um, in either of our lifetimes. You can combine our lifetimes, and we still haven't seen them undefeated. And that is Syracuse. Which that could be very interesting. The Qs. Yeah, Qs and and Clemson play this week, 14 versus 5 at Clemson. So it would be a very interesting matchup there for, for Syracuse. Can they keep up this momentum? Because this team, I mean, obviously they just lost their starting quarterback, and their backup came in, and, I mean, he played out of his mind. Uh, to give them a win last week. But at the same time, their starting quarterback when he was in, I mean, absolutely was just destroying teams. It did not make sense. Like, it's like, wait, 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 what? Like, Syracuse? The Jim, is Jim Brown back in Syracuse? Like, what, what is happening here? Martin Harrison like, back there? I mean, what's going on here? Yeah, I mean, really, like, this is a Syracuse we've never seen in our lifetime. And it's it's fun to see because now you have all these – if you guys don't know, most of most of ESPN and, and all those – TV, you know, sports TV shows. They're made up of Syracuse graduates from their radio TV broadcast program. So they're all get to be get to talk about the Syracuse programs and all that fun stuff. But the rest of us have to just sit here and suffer. Um, mm. But yeah, so that's very interesting to see the Syracuse is up there. Uh, but I just have to mention that because Syracuse and Clemson do play this week, and that could throw a wrench in the entire system before, as we know it. If Syracuse beats Clemson, I don't know what's going to happen in the world. Not, not a clue. But I do want to ask one more question for you as well, too, because it's kind of queued up. And who's your Heisman front runner right now? You had to pick, like, pick your top three for the Heisman. I think right now it has to be CJ Stroud. I don't think, I, I think it's his to lose at this point in time. If he messes up, that's the only chance he has of giving it up. Like, if they lose to Michigan, um, after CJ Stroud, I'm going to go different than everybody else. Everybody else has Blake Corum. I'm going Bijan Robinson because there's nobody else in the in, in college football that has as many 100-yard rushing games as he has in his season so far, let alone his career. But in his season so far, he's coming off of his sixth straight 100-yard season, or 100-yard game. Six. Six straight seasons. They've only played six games. Six 100-yard rushing Oh, sorry. No, five 100-yard He only had 85 in his first game. So five straight 100-yard rushing games. Uh, still has more yards than everybody else. Just the only thing that he lacks is touchdowns which he still has more than anybody else does more than Blake Corum. Um, so yeah, I'm going B. John Robinson is my number two, number three. I'd say that's when you get into that Blake Corum and Bryce Young conversation. Who's the third, who's the, who's, you know, who's third, who's the fourth. Um, I can kind of split a hair with that one. I'm going to say Bryce Young a little bit more so. And then Hendon Hooker, I think right now is at a five looking to play his way in. I think if they could beat Georgia, that does open the door for them for, for Hendon Hooker. If, if Hendon Hooker beats Georgia, and C.J. Stroud stumbles. I think Hendon Hooker takes over the number one spot. All right, like I'm going to choose chaos for this week because we're going to choose right now, and Hendon Hooker's stock is at an all-time high after beating Alabama and putting on a five-touchdown performance. 
And there's still the talk of Ohio State hasn't played anybody because that Notre Dame win kind of looks like chump change at this point, the way Notre Dame's come. So I'm going to pick chaos for October 19th and say Hendon Hooker is the leader right now with C.J. Stroud right on his heels because numbers all point directly to C.J. Stroud and it's not even close really. But Hendon Hooker has that that those intangibles, that big win, the multiple SEC wins, that huge win over Alabama. So give me a hooker with C.J. Stroud right behind. And I don't know if you noticed, but I gave you some nice claps for the Bijan Robinson because that was my pick as well too. You, the only game you didn't really thrive in was against Alabama when your starting quarterback went down and your backup quarterback had one leg. So he played against 14-man boxes the whole time. Not a whole lot you can do there. But other than, otherwise, he's been absolutely sensational. Blake Corum, kind of the same thing you were mentioning with uh, Endon Hooker, Stroud, and those guys. If he doesn't stumble, if he stays rolling and Bijan Robinson stumbles, Corum could take that spot. He's been, we talked about how good he was last year when we did color cast games. He's He's taking it up another notch. Now in that starting role, he's advanced. Like he's more between the tackles, more power running in addition to his game breaking ability as well. And I'm concerned long-term. I'm concerned about their quarterback situation because still feels like, I feel like they're going to give the reins to JJ McCarthy full time. I think that's just about to happen really. Yeah. But I'd still, and I wonder if that's going to take away from Corm a little bit, but right now I have Corm at four with Bryce Young at five because of the missed time. And then Bijan Robinson at three. So we do have pretty much the same faces just in different places. And, Caleb Williams, though, if they don't lose against, if they didn't lose against Utah, I think he's in that three spot. I think the loss will pull him back just a little bit, though. Yeah, and and look, I, I also got to mention some honorable mentions here. Dorian Thompson Robinson from UCLA, going up against Oregon this weekend, really has an opportunity to really put himself in that conversation. Nineteen touchdowns to two interceptions with seventeen hundred offensive yards, fantastic. But honestly, going against him, and this one shocked me to say the least. To looking at his stat wise, Bo Nix. I swear to God, cannot get rid of this guy's name for the life of me. He goes to Oregon, don't have to worry about it anymore. Or so I thought, 1,800 total yards with 20 touchdowns on the season, despite his poor offensive performance in game one against Georgia. He has had an outstanding year. That Oregon team, eh. But Bo Nix, looking pretty good, man. Nonetheless, like, so the, I think the winner of that, that, conversa- that game, if they have a really fantastic, like, 300, four touchdown type of game, might make themselves a possible dark horse conversation or at least get an invite. I will say that week one, he's going to have an incredible rest season. That week one is going to be a big old stain. That's hard to wipe off, but let's say he finishes with like 50 plus touchdowns somehow, like 5,000 total yards. He'll get that invite. I agree with you as well too. I don't think he has, I think his chances of winning, unfortunately have a giant pit stain on them. Let's see. goes for like 60 touchdowns and 6,000 yards and pull some Joe Burrow out of him the rest of the year. But I think, he could, especially if they win the Pac-12, he could definitely play himself into, into an invite as well too. Or they just invite five people and bring him along with. But yeah, and, oh, and don't don't sleep on Max Dugan out of TCU, still undefeated, still somehow scoring eighty-five yard touchdown runs. I don't get it. Still somehow is outrunning people, and it doesn't make sense because he does not look fast at all until he suddenly oh. hits second gear and is passing everybody. It's the weirdest looking thing, but he is he's been putting on a clinic, especially he did to Oklahoma too. He absolutely toasted their what is now proven to be a terrible defense. As if we thought it just might be mediocre this year. Nope, still terrible. They just don't have, they're just not scoring 50 points to offset it anymore as well. Yeah. So the last thing we're going to go back, I'm going to touch on a little bit more NFL stuff really quick before we head over into crunch time. And we're going to talk about the Sunday night game. It was the Cowboys and the Eagles. Very, very close game down the stretch. Cooper Rush, a very rough first half, but down the stretch, he almost, he made something out of it. So I'm going to ask you, do you think Cooper Rush, what are your thoughts now that Daxman Clearing is coming back? Did you kind of like what you saw from Cooper Rush down the stretch, or was this kind of the all right, we've seen enough Cooper Rush now? The the gig is finally up. I don't think there's any difference between Cooper Rush and Dak Prescott. I'm gonna 
catch so much heat for that. That one sentence, I, I, there is no difference on the field between Cooper Rush and Dak Prescott. The only difference is the targets that they go to. Uh, they, both get down big, put up a whole lot of yards to get back into the game, means nothing. Front runners, fantastic when they get off to a hot start. If they can stay ahead, fantastic front runners. They won't. They won't lose. Cooper Rush might be more mobile than Dak Prescott now that after the ankle injury. That's, Dak Prescott is still a statue in the pocket. Um, Cooper Rush, basically a statue in a pocket. <laughs> like it doesn't. It's not great. Um, I think I don't know, man. I I don't. I honestly don't like the situation in Dallas right now. People think there's a whole lot to be impressed with Dak. He's yes, this uh, fifth round draft pick did fantastic and coming in and doing what he did. Let's not forget he is still a fifth-round draft pick. Like, we're treating him like he was the number one overall draft pick in Dallas. You know, it's just like he's untouchable. It's not really that situation. Like, honestly, I think Cooper Rush has done a fantastic job, and he lost, he lost his first ever game as a, as a as a starter. But at the same time, I like, is it Dak's team? Yes. But that contract says it is. <laughs> Yeah, that contract says it is. But at the same time, I'm like, I see plus .01 difference from Dak to, to to Cooper Rush. And that's because you're paying Dak that much extra money. That's the difference in between the two is Dak has that little extra because he's getting paid more. He doesn't run the ball. He, he Like when he does run the ball, you lose the game because he you, you try to snap it without Loretta Loretta touching it. Like you, you forget the clock. So, I man, I... This is the, the hardest situation as a Cowboys fan that I've had to ever witness because it's like Dak went down. And you're like, okay, we'll see what Cooper Rush can do. And, and Cooper Rush didn't do anything crazy. It's not like he went out and like Andy Dalton. Played, yeah, he didn't play out of his mind to go and like he didn't put up, you know, Heisman or, uh, you know, MVP type numbers. He didn't put up Patrick Mahomes type numbers. He just played within the offense, which is all that we asked Dak to do week in and week out if you're a Cowboys fan. And you know, that's the thing is like the Cowboys succeed best when you just have a game manager as your quarterback. You don't need an exponentially great quarterback because that's not what we have in the, it's not what you have in the, in the stockade there. So yeah, I don't, it, it hurts me to say this, but I don't think, I, I think net difference between Dak and Cooper Rush is, is going to be negligible. Don't be surprised if, if Dallas goes on a three game losing streak when Dak comes back though. The one thing I did like when that Cooper Russian is we saw a healthy balance of Zeke and Tony Pollard as well, too. Like Pollard was getting a fair amount of carries and compared, obviously Zeke's going to get like 18 every time and Tony's going to get like 10, but they're both finishing with about 80 yards total, which is kind of what you expect in the mid Tony Pollard with the potential receiving more of a receiving threat as well. I hope they find a way to keep that going. I hope it doesn't turn into bombs away. Like they tend to do with Dak a little bit because he is their guy. They kind of tend to let him go five wide and kind of, run everything i like it i agree i like it better when they simplify things to quote aaron Rodgers. simplify play, it a little just, bit just play within the offense if the offense is structured a certain way just play within it i want to see more tony pollard checkdowns that's all i want to see as well too and i do think even if he struggles which i think there's a chance i think that defense that they showed it's a very good defense it's an elite pass defense run defense it's just pretty good you can move them off the spot a little bit if you can don't let Micah Parsons blow it up and don't leave anyone completely free. I think there's some room to be had on them as well, too. But, I, you know, I, I'm not, it's tough for the Cowboys because now the NFC East is suddenly weirdly competitive on top of it as well, too, minus that mess in Washington. But suddenly the Giants and the Eagles are both now good on top of it as well. And we know 
nobody wins the NFC East in back-to-back years. So might be yep. might be a little bit of rough sliding because of that as well. So something to keep an eye on as well, too. We'll keep if Cooper Rush does take his job or if they do go on a skid, you heard it here first. The lateral move. The only difference being a significant chunk of change. Definitely. And I'm gonna get so much flack when we put this up on TikTok. <laughs> You know what? They, they're still yelling at me over NBA preseason predictions. So, you know what? The flack is the flack. But that is going to do it for our main event. That's going to take us into Kelsey's favorite part of every show. That is crunch time, where we get a chance to go on a little rant, a little recap, or a little bit of rankings, a little something really quickly that's on our mind in the sports world. And Kelsey, what do you have on your mind? Man, I don't have really much. Uh, I got to be honest. I'm I'm kind of a, a an empty empty slate at this point in time because it's been been a weird couple of weeks. Uh, but I'm just you know what? I'm just gonna say baseball's fun again. Um, you know what? Yankees continue to be classless to their own players. Uh, Yankees fans continue to be classless to their own players as they made fun of their own players as they were leaving after the game five postponement, which MLB handled horribly. Uh, but you know what? So be it. The Yankees fans are going to continue to do Yankees fans things. We're just here for the rest of the games. Uh, we're just here for the actual on 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 field experience. And and uh, I gotta say, Guardians, man, that's a team to watch out for in the future if they could just splash a little bit of money on the team. Just drop a fourth of what you're paying right now, basically. Just anything like that. Just add a little bit more on top of it. They'll steal some of the Browns' money. They're not using it very well right now. Just take yeah. some of that as well. That, that'll be fine. The one thing I'll mention looking forward to this week is a big UFC fight card coming up, UFC 280. Charles Oliveira take on Islam Makachev. A fantastic matchup between almost undisputedly the two best in the world in that division. But there's more, as you have the bantamweight title on the line with Aljamain Sterling and TJ Dillashaw. And a potential number one contenders fight in that one with Sean O'Malley versus Piotr Jan. And a big matchup at lightweight with Benil Dariush versus Masu's Gamrot. The guy nobody wants to fight. And Dariush in his top five rankings, like, feed him to me. So there's a lot going on in the fight world. I can't wait to see that. And that main event is an incredible matchup. And part of me is hoping Oliveira wins comfortably, calls out Khabib, and maybe forces Khabib's hand to be coming out of retirement. Because Khabib's been talking a whole lot since he retired. Islam's his boy. He'll be in his corner if... Oliver chokes him out, then walks out of the corner and points at him. We can have some fireworks, and I really, I'm really hoping for that. I'm hoping for even more chaos than we had earlier talking about the Heisman race. So definitely looking forward to that that fight card this weekend. But that will do it for this week on the High Low Sports Podcast. We appreciate you guys checking in. We will talk to see you guys again next week.